Welcome to That Reminds Me of a Story, a podcast dedicated to exploring emerging trends in orality and the communication of the gospel. Our podcast focuses on interviewing practitioners, hearing what is happening in the field of orality, and answering common questions about the orality movement. That Reminds Me of a Story is co-hosted by Grant Lovejoy and yours truly, Don Barger. In each episode, we will host conversations with a wide variety of practitioners to discuss the impacts of working with oral preference learners from many different contexts and perspectives. Well, in today's episode, we're going to take on a couple of questions that we frequently receive when we are doing uh, trainings for Americans or sometimes for others. These are questions that come up at almost every one of our sessions. And the first one, Grant, is why can't you just teach them how to read? Well, teaching people to read is a great thing. But at times, uh, people are not motivated to read because they don't realize it would be of any benefit to them. So if you have people who are not really motivated to want to learn, offering to teach them is kind of a futile thing. Uh, Isn't this also presupposing that the Bible's even written in, in their language? Well, it does. It presupposes that, and that's not the case. There are a couple of thousand languages that have no uh, part of the Bible in them, so that's an issue. Also, um, when we say teach them to read, that leaves us saying, well, able, you know, read what? Read with how much understanding? And mm-hmm. the Bible actually is a pretty lengthy and complicated book. It is set in an ancient time period where the culture was quite different. And so if we mean read with understanding, which is what typically Christians have in mind, we say we want you to understand it, not be able just simply to utter aloud the words that are there on the page, but actually comprehend. That is a much higher level of literacy skill, and it takes a lot longer to get to that level than simply saying, well, I want you to be able to sound out every word and vocalize them. Because there's a huge, huge gap between being able to vocalize text, that is, say aloud the word on the page, and comprehend what those words mean. I can tell you that when I was learning to read Spanish, I obviously could read and I could somewhat speak Spanish. It was a painful experience for people who listened to me read in Spanish when I was first reading. And and I will say, and oftentimes that's been my experience, is that when, when I listen to someone read, they're not understanding what they're reading. They're just, like you said, uttering words. And if you were to ask them to close the Bible and ask them what they just read, just like I couldn't do it, they, they, were, they weren't able to do that either. Right, and just from a practical standpoint, the brain research that's been done in the last half a dozen years has found that reading comprehension, that is understanding what you read, depends on being able to read at a certain minimum speed. That is, fluency in reading is essential for comprehension. What that means is if you have someone who is laboriously sounding out one word after another word after another word after another word, what happens is the brain's short-term memory loses the first word by the time you get to the end of the sentence. And so the comprehension of reading at a really slow pace is never going to be high because you're not getting a chance for the brain to work on the total sentence as one unit. It's like you know the brain can only hold things for so long in the short-term memory. And if you don't move quickly to the end, you just can't comprehend. And so sometimes people say, well, I've heard them read. Well, they read slowly, but I've heard them read. Well, again, we're back to are they vocalizing text 
only, or are they also comprehending what that means? So reading is a wonderful and valuable skill. The question is, what is the right thing as part of a Christian missionary strategy? One of my friends who's really knowledgeable about such things says that in the world of Christian literacy work, uh, among people who have no history of literacy or only beginning history of literacy, he said if they do a community literacy program and it enlists 10% of the adults in the community to participate and complete the program, he said a 10% completion rate is considered stellar. That's an outstanding uh, program. And, and when he said that, I thought, hmm, this is an organization that does literacy programs all over the world. And they say, we have really done great if we get 10% of the adults in the community to participate in our adult literacy program. I think most people say, why don't you teach them to read, are assuming you would have a far higher completion rate than that. If you say, that still leaves 90% who can't read, that, that's a pretty substantial group of people who, who cannot read, who are still going to be left out. So even teaching some of them to read is not the total answer. It is certainly advantageous to have a small number of readers who can read to many. That was the situation at the time that the early church was formed, that typically most people heard the scripture read instead of reading it for themselves. So the whole matter of, of teaching people to read is, uh, it is, is more challenging than one might think at first. One other factor I'll mention that is a part of this is that when you are trying to encourage people to read, it's really important to be able to offer them material that interests them and that are different degrees of difficulty so that when someone's just getting started, they need some things to read that are interesting to them that are very simple. And then they need some things that are interesting to them that are a little more challenging and a little more challenging and a little more challenging. What that means then in reality is if you're trying to teach a whole community to read from small children to you know middle elementary children to middle school to high school to adult and male and female with all the variety of interests, you have to generate a substantial body of literature just for them to have something to uh, practice reading on that's enjoyable. If all we had available to us to read were materials that are too difficult for us or way too simple for us, that wouldn't be much incentive to learn to read. Likewise, if all the reading material that's available is about subject matter that doesn't interest us. That also diminishes anyone's interest in practicing their readings enough they get really good at it. So teach them to read presupposes that you've created a whole body of literature that interests little boys and little girls and little bit bigger boys and little bit bigger girls and adolescent boys and adolescent girls and adolescent high schoolers and adolescent, or male high schoolers, female high schoolers, and then on into adulthood from, you know, from your 20-somethings, 30-somethings, 40-somethings, 50-somethings. You have to have a, a whole body of literature to really pull off a, a strong literacy program. And most people who think about teaching them to read aren't really up for that. Well, and, and again, they're, they just don't have the resources in their languages. And, and if the only thing that existed were the Bible, and they have no motivation, as you said earlier, to, to read the Bible, then I think 10% would be a high percentage of the people to engage in, in learning to read. Yep. So we try to encourage them to learn the Bible through told stories, come to faith in Christ, love him, appreciate him, love the stories that have introduced them to faith in him. Then they have an incentive to want to get access to more of those stories. Now they're motivated to learn to read. 
Now a literacy program is far more likely to succeed with them because they have something of really compelling them to stick with it, keep practicing, and a better likelihood of achieving the goal of a really truly fluent literacy. So, you know, a twist to this is that here we are talking about people who cannot read, and obviously if they cannot read, they're not going to read the Bible even if it existed. But a significant number of people in the world can read, and yet they still don't read the Bible. So how would telling or using narratives uh, in how do you think that would impact working with those type of people? Well, it is true that a lot of people in the world who are educated well enough to read with reasonable comprehension don't enjoy reading. They don't do much pleasure reading. In the surveys that are done in various countries, it's apparent that they use their reading skills primarily when they have to. Filling out government paperwork, applying for a job where it's required to fill out a job application, things like that. But pleasure reading plays little or no role in their life. Uh, that being the case, then saying, hey, you know, why don't you learn about Christianity by reading is essentially to say, hey, how about you learning about Christianity by doing something you don't enjoy doing or that you don't find very interesting to do? It, it means that your method of learning has now become a, an impediment to their learning about Jesus, learning about the Christian faith. And so, you know, one of the things that seems to make sense is to say, Let's help you learn about this subject matter by doing it through a means that you find more appealing, which is, you know, a live face-to-face conversation with someone or hearing a story told and discussing it in a small group. There are a lot of people in the world with the ability to read who live in a highly group-oriented society, and they would much prefer to talk about a story they've heard or even listen to a story read and then discuss it because the group interaction is hugely important for their, their own comprehension of it, but also for their deciding that to accept it and to embrace it. And the, the practice of reading, as is typically done in the West, is, you know, it's a solo thing. It's mm-hmm. something you do alone, silently. And just that very uh, individuality and isolation is itself unappealing to people from a highly group-oriented, interaction-oriented culture. Yeah, this has played out in some of the, you you and I have been talking to some of our urban uh, leaders around the world, and and we've seen this, and and not universally, but a significant number of the people we've talked to have talked about how people really just don't enjoy reading. It's not something they choose to do. It doesn't mean that they can't, but they much prefer, the, like you said, the face-to-face interaction and the dialogue, telling stories. Yet our strategies oftentimes and in our churches are, oh, you need to be discipled, so here, read this book. And yet it, it is something sort of foreign to what they do on a day, day-to-day basis. Yeah, and the people who offer those really fine materials are a good sure. Group. They're, they're certainly seeking to help them. And oftentimes, like in my case, uh, because I enjoy reading, because books have been really influential in my life, it's second nature for yeah. me to want to have somebody else uh, have the same good experience that I have. But I try to remember um, what I heard from a friend of mine. His name is Jay Moon. He's a seminary professor. And he, he mentioned in one of his talks and then later wrote about a student he had in seminary. Obviously a motivated student. You know, he's there seeking to follow God's leading in his life. But the student told him, he said, you know, Dr. Moon, I like to learn, 
but I don't like to read. <laughs> and when I heard that, I thought, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We often assume that those two are automatically linked, that if somebody likes to learn, they'll like to read. Or if they like to read, you know, then it, obviously they'll want to learn. But in fact, though those things can be linked, they can be separate. And later I actually borrowed that line and used it as a title of an article I wrote um, just exploring that very thing that people may be hungry to learn. They may be eager, eager to grow in their knowledge about the Bible, about Christianity, about who Jesus is. They may be really eager, but they may say, I just don't want to read. I, I want to learn, but not to read. And so that's why I think it's good for us to say, all right, is there a way that we can support and advance their hunger to learn without running through the, um, you know, the, the knee-deep mud of uh, requiring them to read if they don't like to read. So I, I, think, I think that our strategies should really reflect the, the learning styles of the people. And you told a story of, of Jay Moon. I'll tell a story that I was on a seminary campus uh, about a year ago, and I walked through the lobby and I watched this uh, young person sitting there reading, had a, the book out, was kind of going line by line with her hand, and they were wearing headphones. So I, I watched and I thought, wow, that person is listening to music and reading at the same time. That's some more talent. And so as she finished up, I she took her headphones off and she was packing up. And I said, how do you do that? How do you um, listen to, how do you listen to audio or listen to a, a, some music and read at the same time? It just seems like it would be distracting. And she looked at me and said, no, 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 I was listening to the book. And so it was being read to me, and then I was following along with my hand on, and I think it was actually was a Kindle or something. I was following along in it, but I was having it read to me. And so here is someone who, you know, in the United States, highly educated, but their model of learning was so foreign. I'd never even dreamed of having a book read to me as I followed along on the page, but that's what, that's what she did. Yeah, and with modern technology... Uh, we now have uh, Bible apps that give people the option to do that very thing so that they can listen to the Bible being read to them and they can follow along. And in some of the apps actually highlighting is used yeah. uh, verse by verse. So when the audio gets to, say, verse 13, then verse 13 is highlighted. And when the audio moves to verse 14, then verse 14 is highlighted and not verse 13. And it's a great way to encourage people to develop better literacy. So the listening to it is not necessarily a failure to advance in literacy, but can go hand in hand with growing in their understanding through their ears, but also improving their ability at reading comprehension. So I started this episode out by asking a question, why can't they just read or why don't you just teach them how to read? So what you just said leads me to the other question I wanted to address on this, this episode that we, we get this a lot. I would say almost every time we, we do a session on Bible storying, someone comes up and says, I, I really like this. I get it. I understand there are people who don't like to read or there are people who cannot read. or But why can't they just listen to the Bible being read to them? So obviously in the, the New Testament, this was a common practice. What, what do you have to say about that, this listening to the Bible being read as opposed to a Bible story. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to say anything uh, bad Obviously. about listening to the Bible read. <laughs> it was a practice in the early church. It was something that Jesus himself read to the congregation in the synagogue and 
Luke 4. So it's a good practice and worthwhile, and I commend it. It does presuppose that you do have the Bible in that language uh, that's you know been soundly well translated, and it's been audio recorded, and there's the technology to play it, or there's some reader who is available. So let's assume that all those um, are present, though, in, in fact, you don't necessarily have those present. Oh, in a lot of cases, you wouldn't have those. Right. And, and I should say, in a lot of the, the uh, teaching that you're talking about, the sessions where these kind of questions come up, we are often talking about what might be thought of as pioneer missions. Mm. That is, missions in places where there haven't been missionaries previously, where there hasn't been a generation or two or three who've gone before us and done Bible translation and encouraged the development of education and literacy and so forth. And so if someone is thinking about Christian missions in a place where all that has been done over the last 50 or 100 or 150 years, then sure, the circumstances are different. But as we talk about pioneer missions, I am thinking of and sort of presupposing places where it's an unwritten language. People don't have any history with Christianity, or if they, what little they know about the Christian faith is wrong because they've heard it from people who didn't understand it themselves or distorted, misrepresented Christianity. So I should say that's sometimes people are asking out of a diff, very different frame of reference. And I'm answering out of the particular frame of reference of people who have little access because they are often overlooked in mission strategy. They are, their needs are often not going to be met unless we specifically think about them and their unique situation. Now, why is a told story different from you know, hearing the Bible read? Well, most people who read a story don't read with the same level of interest in their, you know, vocally, facially. Even when uh, I was sitting on the edge of the bed with one of my uh, daughters when she was small. Many times at night, I would tell the story to her, you know, eyeball to eyeball, face to face, telling it from you know, my own knowledge of the story. Uh, but sometimes, you know, after I'd told a biblical story, she'd say, what happened next? And maybe I wasn't right. quite ready to yeah. tell the next one. And so I'd <laughs> open the Bible and I would read to her the next story that came in the larger flow. And after an occasion like that, she said to me, she said, you know, I like it when you tell the Bible stories, but I don't like it so well when you read it. And I thought, well, I wonder, and she said, you know, I, I, you know, I like it when you look at me when you're telling the story. Mm-hmm. You know, something about the eye contact, the relationship. I think my expressiveness was almost surely better when I was telling it than when I was yeah. reading it. Just it, uh, maybe a professional reader or an amateur reader who really works at it can read with the same level of uh, variety and intonation and appropriateness of vocal variety with the content. But a whole lot of people don't read aloud real expressively. It's kind of monotone. It's sort of dull and boring. There's not a lot of variety to it. And so some of it just goes back to the fact that most people don't read aloud with the same level of expressiveness. There is also, though, this matter I just mentioned, which is uh, storytelling It develops a, a bond, a level of relationship, an interpersonal linkage because of it being face-to-face, eye-to-eye. You see the expressions on my face. I see what you are, you know, how you're listening. I see the expression change on your face. You smile at the happy points or you frown at the places where I wish you smiled or right. whatever it is. Well, you respond to that. I respond to that. I do. Respond. 
I do. And one of the things that uh, is possible if you are a practicing storyteller is that you are able to adapt the level of complexity or difficulty to audiences who have differing levels of maturity or understanding. So if I'm going to tell a story and I'm telling it to small children or I'm telling it to teenagers or I'm telling it to mature adults. It's a different, you tell the same story, but you tell it totally different. Right. Uh, with the smaller children, I may simplify my vocabulary. I may reduce the complexity of the story so they can focus on the sort of the basics of the story. With teenagers, uh, I will tell it differently depending on the subject matter. I may not talk with teenagers just frankly, for instance, about uh, some aspects of marital life. Whereas if I'm talking with people who have been married 30 years, I can speak with them about marital dimensions of the story. Well, it's much like what a pastor does on a Sunday morning. There's five different ways to preach the same sermon. It's the same passage, but it could have a different, different emphasis. Yeah, and I think this is one other place where we ought to differentiate storytelling from uh, the reading of Scripture, both worthwhile in my opinion. Storytelling really is a form of preaching or teaching proclamation. That is, you are consciously shaping how you go at it in light of who your audience is and what you think would be most beneficial to them. When you're reading Scripture, you're reading the Scripture, word for word, and you're assuming that it's going to have benefit, and we you know, certainly accept that the scripture is inspired and is profitable, all of it. And we, I, I want to say, you would say, we would love for everyone in the world to be able to read scripture. And yeah. we think that's the that's the best. Sure. Yeah. And so often, I think people misunderstand this, though. If we advocate for storytelling, then that's the only thing we're for. Right. Or if we urge people to start uh, outreach to an unreached people group, that that's all we expect them ever to do. And I think we need to just do a better job of saying, you know, we're big believers in both and eventually. The question may be, which is the best place to start? And then what do you need to move to as a second phase or third phase or things like that? And I mean, and some of the Bible translations now are story first, and there's a reason why they do the story first. They get people much more motivated to tell the story, to one, tell the stories, but then to work on the Bible translation. And the end result, the the Bible that's translated in their language, they own that. It's their it's their Bible. They have translated it. But if you're doing it for other motivation, not not because you you know the Bible stories and now you're wanting the full Bible. If you're doing it because it's a job, maybe it's maybe you're not as motivated to pour your whole heart into that Bible translation. So I think that what I've heard, and you can speak to it, but those story, those Bible translations that are starting story first are a, ra- a much more rapid getting to the Bible stories, getting to the, the written scripture. Yeah, I, I uh, am pleased that one of the major Bible translation organizations decided a long time ago, in probably 2008, in one of the most populous Muslim countries on the earth, that all of their new Bible translation projects in that country for Muslim uh, majority language groups, they all were going to start with an oral Bible story first approach. And this from an organization that's deeply committed to translating the Bible into the written form of the language and teaching people to read it at a high level of comprehension. They simply had recognized that beginning with oral Bible stories first, 
is a better way of getting to their goal of translating the whole Bible in written form and having people able to read it. It, get, it gets much faster initial impact. It enables people to understand the Bible more quickly, enables them to come to faith. And then as people who have come to faith in Christ, they're much more interested in the project, much more likely to volunteer or to encourage others to volunteer to be part of the translation project. So they have done that, not because somehow they've lessened or decreased their commitment to written translation and literacy enough to read it but with understanding, but they've just said this is just, as in terms of sequence and process, the oral Bible story approach is good. And the audio recording of the written translation falls in its natural place. You can't make an audio recording of a written translation until you've done the written translation. Uh, the other thing that is often now part of this integrated strategy is that there was a time in which Bible translators often wanted just to focus on maybe completing the whole New Testament or at least whole books of the New Testament before they circulated them very widely. And they had their own reasons for that, and they're understandable. But over the last 20 years, as church planting and Bible translation have been more closely linked, there has been a, a, a huge shift in the practice so that now the practice is from the Bible translator's side, put a smaller number of shorter portions into an accessible form and start using those quickly, mm. immediately, among the non-Christian populace that speaks that language, so that the oral Bible stories can be prepared and put into use in a matter of weeks, whereas it might take years to get to the point where they even understood the language well enough to start to form its alphabet and a system for writing, all the things that go with it. So this, there's this much more of this interplay between translate a little and then use it a lot and then get the feedback from the, that lots of use of it to guide the translation of the next small amount and then use that a lot. So translate a little, use it a lot, translate a little, use it a lot. And so then you get this snowball effect as the translators are getting lots of feedback about what aspects of their translation are really succeeding and what things they need to refine in their translation process. I would imagine this results in a much better, a, a much clearer Bible translation once it's, once it's done. Yeah, because you've now had the, the, the feedback from dozens or hundreds or multiple hundreds of people who have heard different Bible stories in small group settings where they're able to give feedback. By contrast, say, if you imagine kind of in your stereotypically maybe a translation team composed of one or two or three people working largely sure. in isolation. Yeah. It's, it's really difficult well, to nice, do as well that way. I, I think another really neat thing about this model is God's Word is being proclaimed long before those written Bible translations are, are done. Well, I think that our time is up for this episode. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. If you like what you hear, please share it with others. We would really appreciate your helping us get the word out about That Reminds Me of a Story. 